week in a row of uh, requests for topics to be discussed, and, and I appreciate the request and hope you appreciate uh, being able to look at these things together. Uh, the request was, what, why don't we look at some of the significant numbers in the Bible? And I think it's important that we do that. And so I want to spend some time with you tonight. You were given a handout. If you want to take notes, you can. The kids sort of enjoyed that last week, and they wanted to do that again. So um, if you want to do that, you've got that on your sheet there. You can copy down and take some notes. Numbers are significant in all aspects of our lives, aren't they? I know uh, we've got some sports players and some sports fans. Probably lots, almost everybody's a sports fan as I'm looking out here. Numbers are significant there, aren't they? The number of players you've got on the field, uh, the number of points you score, the rating and your position with respect to other teams. In everyday life, numbers are important. If you need eggs, how many are you going to buy? Just buy a dozen, right? How about donuts? Anybody ever bought 10 donuts? No, you buy a dozen. Numbers are important in life. Uh, you go to get a set of tires, you know you're going to get four. Uh, there are numbers that have significance and meaning in our life. And many times, as we look at the Bible, numbers have significance. Now, we want to look at that significance tonight, but we've got to be careful because not every number is significant, and the Bible doesn't have any type of decoder or legend that tells us, okay, this number means this in the Bible. So you've got to be careful about that. There are a lot of people who have gone off in the weeds because of trying to make numbers mean things that God didn't intend them to mean. Back in 2011, uh, or before 2011, a gentleman by the name of Harold Camping, you may have heard him in the news, he was famous for saying the end of the world would come on May 21st, 2011. And he was telling everybody that, that, that the end is the end. Well, obviously, it wasn't on May 21st, 2011. He believed that he had seen some numbers in the Bible and done some calculations based upon these numbers, and he knew exactly when it was going to come. Didn't happen on May 21st, 2011. Well, so you got to give an answer on May 22nd, 2011. And so his answer was, well, he did the math wrong, and he got some of the numbers mixed up. And now it's supposed to be in October of 2011, and it came and went. He faded into obscurity and died. But there are lots of people who have tried to make numbers mean things that the Bible didn't intend them to mean. And so we've got to be careful about that. But having said that, there are some significance to numbers in the Bible. And let's look at them together at what the Bible tells us about numbers. And having an understanding of numbers, I think, will help us to have a, a fuller understanding and a deeper understanding of what God is trying to tell us in certain passages. First up, the number one. Number one in the Bible represents unity many times. We see that over and over again. Joseph just read for us Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, talks about all these things that they're just one of, one body, one, one God and Father. Uh, these are unity. They're, they're single uh, and unified. Look in your Bibles at John chapter 17. John chapter 17, beginning of verse 20. John 17, beginning of verse 20. Notice how Jesus uses this idea of one to represent unity. Also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, 
that they may be one just as we are one, I and them, you and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you loved me. And so the idea of unity is here, isn't it? God and Christ are unified. He wants us to be unified like that. And if we'll have that unity, we'll have unity with them as well. Unity is presented here with the idea of one. Furthermore, in Ephesians chapter 2, turn in Ephesians chapter 2, we see that, again, this idea of unity between Jew and Gentile, that we all can be one now or unified, whereas in the Old Testament there was a divide. Now we can be one. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning verse 11, Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made by, in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once or far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who hath made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so in to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. The Jew and Gentile now are unified. And we see again, over and over again, this idea of unity. One more passage to show this unity, and it is the unity in the marriage relationship. In Matthew chapter 9, beginning of verse 4. Matthew 9, beginning of verse 4. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. And so we have the idea of unity again. So one in the scriptures represents many times the idea of unity. What about the number two? The number two many times establishes truth. Notice uh, in Genesis chapter 41, verse 32. Genesis 41, verse 32. We'll recall in Genesis chapter 41, Pharaoh is having some dreams, and they happen to him twice. And Joseph interprets that as that means it is really going to happen. It's truth. It's established. In Genesis 41, verse 32. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice, because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. And so when it happened twice, Joseph says, this is, this is really establishing that it is really going to happen. It's really true. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 28. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, you needed to have at least two witnesses. You need to have at least two witnesses to establish that something was, had really occurred. So if I uh, came to you and I went to, the, or to the, the priest and said, I saw David still in a donkey. If it was just me, he would not be able to take that as, as true. But if Mark and I went to the priest and said, David's still in donkeys, then it would be established. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 28. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. And so the idea there of two being something that establishes truth is presented with the number two. Again, these numbers don't, it doesn't mean this every time you see them, but uh, we do see this idea mentioned several times in the Bible. Number three, many times, represents completion or perfection. 
completion or perfection. In, Genesis, in Exodus chapter 23, in Exodus chapter 23, verse 14, it was the completeness of the feast that they were to, to observe. Uh, three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year, Exodus 23, verse 14 says. That summarized the, the, the requirements there for their feast. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus references the number three a couple times in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. One of those times being Jonah, the other time being him in the grave. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus' uh, death, his, his burial was three days, and that completed what was promised of him. In Luke chapter 13, in Luke chapter 13, it represents this idea of complete patience that the, that the, uh, the owner of the vineyard had uh, for, or the keeper of the vineyard, uh, sorry, the owner of the vineyard said to the keeper of the vineyard that he'd been coming for three days. Look at Luke chapter 13, verse 7. Luke chapter 13, verse 7. Then he said to the keeper of the vineyard, look, for three years I've been coming to seek uh, fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? And so that sort of summarizes the completeness or the perfection of the, of the owner's uh, patience for that fig tree. Now after three years, he's done with it and says, cut it down. Jesus in John chapter 2 verse 19 said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Three days here, he would raise it up. And, uh, and then in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 19, three represents the entirety or the completion of the Godhead here in Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All three there are mentioned. That is the entirety or the completion of the Godhead. So three represents perfection or completion. Four, well, it can mean different things, but one thing that we know that it means is it represents the earth or the four uh, directions on the compass. Look at, um, look at Isaiah chapter 11, verse 12. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 12. He will set up a banner for the nations, and he will send the four corners of Israel and gather together the dispersed of, of Judah from the four corners of the earth. There are four directions. That four often means, references the earth. In Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 9, third, Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 9, he said to me, prophesy to the breath uh, son of, uh, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So all four directions of the earth are mentioned here. <clears throat> all right? And then Revelation chapter 21, verses 12 and 13, this idea of four again is presented in the New Jerusalem, and that city has four sides. And the, those sides have a significance. In Revelation 21, verses 12 and 13, also she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the, at the gates. 
and was written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel, three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. The idea that in this new city, Jerusalem, you can come from any direction to get into this city. And so four represents many times the earth or the directions of the compass. The number six many times references humanity and mankind. We don't have to read the passage in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, but that is the, the account of the creation of man. And we know when man was created. He was created on the sixth day. And we'll see this idea here in a minute when we get into the book of Revelation, the idea of sin. Here with this one, this represents mankind. And then you may be familiar with this one, the number seven. Number seven, many times in the Bible, represents completeness. The week of creation was seven days long. Our weeks are seven days long. And the Bible represents this idea of completion being and uh, in, in, in completeness in the number seven in other passages. Look at Psalm 12, verse 16. Psalm 12, verse 16. Psalms 12, verse 16. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified. How many times? Seven times. In other words, it gets the job done. It's complete. Seven times. There were a lot of times in the book of Leviticus in chapter 4 where they were told to do, and other passages, where they're told to do things seven times in their service to God. And the idea of seven is being a complete number again. And in Leviticus chapter 4, verse 17, Leviticus 4, verse 17, notice this. Then the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil. He was to do this seven times. It was completeness in their service to God. And God references completion, the number seven, in his punishment as well. In Leviticus chapter 26, verse 18, if you're still in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 26, verse 18 God says in Leviticus 26, verse 18, and after all, he's going to punish them. He's going to punish them completely or thoroughly. And he said he would punish them seven times for their sin. And then a familiar passage to us in Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 8, uh, Matthew chapter 18, sorry, beginning of verse 21, Peter is uh, uh, asking Jesus how many times does he need to forgive? And he used that idea seven. They go, well, that's a good number. Seven's thorough, right? If I forgive my neighbor seven times, Jesus says, no, not enough. Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say unto you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And so Jesus takes it up a notch there above what Peter was saying. So seven is the idea of completion. Seven is one more than six. So seven is a complete number. Six would be symbolic then of mankind, as we mentioned, or uh, which is incomplete. It's, it's lacking. Keep that in mind again as we get on into the book of Revelation. 
We skip a few numbers tonight, and uh, you can find, if you look it up, people who try to make connections with every kind of number. I tried to limit the ones that we look at tonight to ones that are fairly well established. We can see uh, the scriptures uh, indicating the significance of these numbers, but you can find people who want to try and put a, num a significance on every number. But we're going to skip tonight down to, to number 12. Number 12 is representative of God's people. In the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 49, verses, verse 28, and other passages, we know there were 12 tribes in Israel in the Old Testament. God's people were represented by the number 12, the 12 tribes. In the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 2, we know that there are 12 apostles, representative of the Christian age, and, 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 uh, and so we have the 12 apostles. Now, we know the number 12 is representative or is, is uh, the result of multiplying 3 by 4. We know the number 3 that we mentioned was uh, the idea of completeness. And the number 4 represents all different 12. Uh, so when we take that, we look at Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12, uh, verse 2, Isaiah 2, verse 2. Isaiah 2, verse 2. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. So God's people, the 12 represents God's people. They're coming from all nations, all directions. And that their coming is going to be a complete coming. And that would get us to 12. And we referenced Revelation chapter 21 already. Revelation chapter 21 verses 12 and 13, and if you add verse 14 onto that, um, you see the apostles are part of the 12 foundations in this new Jerusalem. So 12 represents God's people many times in the Bible. And so that brings us then to the number of 24. What would be the significance of the number 24? The number 24 is mentioned in Revelation chapter 4, verse 4. Notice what it says. Revelation chapter 4, verse 4. In other places uh, here in the book of Revelation, we're going to see a number 24. And all around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw, saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. I believe that represents the God's people from both the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. There were the Old Covenant, God's people were represented by the 12 uh, tribes. The New Testament, God's people are represented by the 12 apostles. 12 and 12 is 24. We have 24 elders sitting around the throne of God, representing God's people uh, there in heaven. We'll skip several numbers now and go down to the number 40. Number 40 is Genesis chapter 7, verse 4. Genesis chapter 7, verse 4 is the account of the flood. And God said he was going to cause rain to fall for 40 days and 40 nights. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. The flood, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 33, in other passages, after the children of Israel rebel against God, and they do not have faith in God, they don't obey God, God condemns them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. 
In Numbers 14, verse 30, your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and bear the brunt of your inf uh, infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. They were going to be there for 40 years. Again, this idea of trials represented by the number 40. Jesus, in Matthew 4, verse 2, he fasted in the devil, remember, for four, um, fasted in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights before he was tempted of the devil. And in Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 6, Ezekiel is told to lay on his side, if you want to look at that, for 40 days to represent uh, the iniquity of the house of Judah. In Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 6, And when you have completed them, lie again on your side, then you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Judah 40 days. I have laid, you a day, uh, laid, you on, laid on you a day for each year. And so the idea here, 40 being a trial or something to endure, uh, the number 40. The number 100 is a number we would use today as being uh, a large quantity. We might say hundreds of this or hundreds of that, a large quantity. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 10. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 10. And this is uh, important for our kids to understand this verse. Proverbs 17, verse 10. Rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. You can beat a fool, tell him, and he won't learn his lesson many times. A wise man, you tell him, and he learns. Kids, your mom and dad don't like administering the blows. They'd much rather just be able to tell you something, and you learned. But if you won't learn, there might be 100 blows coming or more. A wise man will listen. But 100 blows on a fool means a lot, a lot of punishment, a lot of pain. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 Verse 12, a hundred here represents doing something bad a lot of times. In Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 12, Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him. And so Ecclesiastes says that a sinner could do bad a lot, a lot, and he represents that by the number hundred. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 6, turn back a couple pages there to Ecclesiastes chapter 6. If a man begets a hundred children and lives many years, so the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with goodness, or indeed he has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better than he. So a guy could have a lot of children, and a lot is represented by a hundred. I'd say that'd be a lot, but uh, a, a figurative number here to represent a lot of offspring. And then in Luke chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus uses the idea of a hundred with representing a lot. In Luke chapter 15, verse 4. And this is the parable of the lost sheep. In Luke 15, verse 4, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does he not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? hundred means a lot. This guy has a lot of sheep, and he's concerned about that one. God has lots of children. He's concerned about me and you on the individual level. And that's an important lesson to learn. hundred means a large quantity many times in the Bible. And then we get to one of the most famous numbers in all of the Bible. 
666. It is famous, 18, a lot of concern and consternation about what is the number 666, and if you get 666 for, uh, when you're adding up numbers, oh, that's bad luck, or if, you're, if your bill at the, at the, at the um, restaurant is $6.66, and oh, is this guy bad? Look at the Revelation chapter 13, verse 15. Revelation 13 verse, uh, 13, verse 15 expressly tells us what the number 666 means. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both uh, speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no man may buy or sell except he, uh, one who has the mark of the beast a mark of the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. What do we make of that? Well, we know that the number six represents humans, right? We remember that humans were built, men were made, created on day six of creation. It is an incomplete number. Seven is a complete number. Six is incomplete or represents sinfulness. And so we have the number six three times. We remember the number three is a number of completeness. And so we would say that this represents complete sinfulness, wickedness of mankind. The number 666, the number of a man, it says there in Revelation chapter 13. And then, is a famous number out of the book of Revelation, a thousand is representative of all of something or of a long time. Look over in Psalm 50, verse 10. Steve Klein uh, made reference to this in our community Bible study a few weeks ago. Psalm 50, verse 10. Here's what God says. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. Does that mean that only the cows on the thousand hills are gods, and the thousand and first cow, uh, cows on the thousand and first hill are not gods? No. God's just using the thousand to represent all of it, completion, all of it, along, all of it. It also represents a long time. If you're still in the book of Psalms, turn to Psalm 90, verse 4. Psalm 90, verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. A thousand years. A literal thousand years? No, just a long time, a thousand years. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, we read the same idea. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. A thousand, a long, long time. And when we take that understanding to the book of Revelation then, we read in Revelation chapter 20, beginning of verse 1, about a thousand years, and it represents, I believe, a long time. Revelation chapter 20, beginning of verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, 
And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their, wit uh, for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed is he, uh, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Well, this is clearly a passage that is full of symbolic languages. There is a bottomless pit. Can you have a bottomless pit? And there's, this pit has a key to it. And there's some kind of chain that you can bind this, uh, this Satan with, who's a spiritual being, but there's some type of chain. No, this is figurative language. And in the middle of this figurative language is the thousand years. And we've seen from other passages that thou, a thousand or a thousand years represents a long time, a big number, and that God, Christ is going to reign for uh, a long time. All right? And then finally, 144,000, which again ranks up there with some of the most famous numbers in the Bible. 144,000, I believe, represents all of God pe God's people. Turn to Revelation chapter 14, verse 3. Revelation chapter 14, verse 3. And they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. This could be a reference to, uh, to heaven or it could be a reference to the church, but what does it mean? Those who are in a right relationship with God, there are 144,000. How do we get to that number? Well, 144,000 is 12 times 12 times 1,000, isn't it? 12 times 12. 12 uh, represents God's people, I believe, in the Old Testament. 12 represents God's people in the New Testament. And the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, all of God's people, times 1,000. There's a great number of them, a great number of them means I believe that all of God's people, all of God's people are going to be saved. There are no, there, the, 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 the devil will not be victorious. The devil cannot defeat God and his purpose. 144,000 will be in that, uh, in that glorious scene with God. Well, I hope the things we've looked at tonight have been helpful. Uh, a different kind of lesson, but... Uh, again, we have to be careful that we don't put too much emphasis on numbers where the Bible doesn't put emphasis. But I think we can see some numbers that have uh, a theme and an idea carried with them in the Bible. And I think that if we understand those where the Bible is explicit and, and helps us to understand those, I think it can help us to have a greater understanding of what God's telling us in his word when we see certain numbers being presented. If you've got questions about that, let me know. And if you've got a topic that you'd like uh, presented, a lesson presented on, I'd love to hear it. And let me know if you've got something that you'd like to hear a lesson on. Well, are you one of God's people tonight? And are you living in such a way that you can enjoy an eternity with heaven when this world is over? If you're not, there's no better time than right now to become one. If there's anything we can do to help you, let us know while we stand and sing.